Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? I'm really excited to welcome Matt Hasselbeck to the Philosophy Podcast. Matt is currently an analyst on ESPN for the Sunday NFL Countdown. Played NFL football, got drafted by the Packers, played for the Seahawks, went, had six playoff appearances and a Super Bowl appearance, went to three Pro Bowls, also played for Tennessee and Indy, played his college ball at Boston College, and Matt Hasselbeck is a huge lacrosse fan. So I was really excited to get him on the show. Matt, how's it going? What's up, Jamie? <laughs> how's it going, man? It's almost lacrosse season. It is almost lacrosse season. It doesn't look like it here in Boston, though. I spent probably a total of 10 hours shoveling or plowing snow this week. Uh, my girls, they had the start of like lacrosse preseason tryouts and all that canceled because there was too much snow. They couldn't plow the fields in time. And so... Uh, it does not look like lacrosse season out here right now for the high school kids uh, in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah, well, lacrosse has unfortunately turned into an outdoor winter sport, kind of similar to the end of the football season, actually. And, um, but uh, give us uh, all a rundown on how you became a lacrosse fan before we get into some other topics. Man, I don't even know how it started for me because we never really had lacrosse when I was growing up. You know, I played football, basketball, baseball. I basically just tried to play every sport I could possibly play. Um, but lacrosse was never really a consideration. I think my high school, I uh, went to high school in Boston, and I think they started a kind of a club team as I was leaving and then had a varsity team my senior year, you know, kind of right in that range. But I just remember, like, the lacrosse kids were the kids that, you know, had a cool pair of gloves and, like, a really long stick, and they were playing catch uh, while we were at baseball practice, and that's all I really remember. And then, you know, so fast forward, I've got three kids. I'm playing for the Tennessee Titans. And uh, the, the options for my girls, uh, actually for my oldest daughter in fifth grade, was either softball or lacrosse, girls lacrosse, and, or track. And my girls had played, like, boys t-ball, like Little League baseball up until that point. And quite honestly, it was just super boring, like, Baseball for a parent at that age is very boring. Lacrosse was kind of more like soccer, which they were doing in the fall, was a lot of running. So I said, all right, we'll try it. What do we need? It was goggles and a stick and a mouthpiece. And so we just went with that. And uh, anyway, I don't know what it was, but my daughter, my oldest, just really took to it. She was pretty great at it. She could run and catch, which makes you an all-star at that age. And uh, we were sort of hooked from that moment on. And we were just looking for every opportunity to – get on a wall, get on a rebounder, find a friend to play catch with. And, um, you know, we just really haven't looked back. And that's, that's how we met was through lacrosse up this past summer through some mutual friends. So your daughters play lacrosse with uh, one of my best friends from high school's daughter. And uh, he was telling you, Hey, I got this friend and we're going to go to Canada. And actually you were like, Hey, how did your daughter get so much better at lacrosse? And and he was like, well, you know, she went up and, and, and went to Canada and played box lacrosse. And you started digging into it a little bit. And next thing you know, last June, 
you know, we're talking about lacrosse and football in a rink watching uh, the girls out there playing box lacrosse. But how was that experience for the kids? You know what? It was wild because the year before, this friend here uh, said, hey, you know, we're going to go out to Vancouver, that area. You know, you used to live in Seattle. You should come up there. It'd be great. And he showed me some, like, videos of what box lacrosse was looking like. And I was like, man, I don't know about that. I'm not so sure. And then a year later, he said, hey, we're going to be a little closer to Boston this year. We're going to be up at the St. Catharines League, Niagara-on-the-Lake, Whitby, Ontario, that area. And at the same time, I had another friend from Nashville who said the same thing. Hey, you want to do this thing up at St. Catharines, Niagara-on-the-Lake, Whitby, Ontario? And I thought, well, man, these worlds are sort of, you know, colliding. We'll give it a run. And uh, I brought it up to my girls, and they were all in. I don't know if at first they just wanted to – get like the boys stick with the boys equipment and like that's why they wanted to play box lacrosse but whatever the reason they were all in on it we tried it out it was great it was very helpful uh working with you and some of the people around the country like americans that went up there to get better at lacrosse um it was a lot of fun and it was really beneficial it was i mean so so the listeners know um, my son had grown up playing box across in St. Catharines, Ontario, and lived in Niagara on the lake with his grandparents. And so my daughter, who's same age as Matt's second daughter, um, we w- wanted to play box across. So we went up there and there were some other friends. And next thing you know, there was this whole group of kids that signed up and played for the St. Catharines Athletics Girls Box Across program. And then during the day, you know, we'd have some time to kill. So we'd rent a little floor time and, 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 and hire a goalie for 20 bucks and we'd just go shoot. Or, or we'd go play pickup games in the tennis court and just play. And, Matt, actually, you know, you and I think, I think we won a game together on the same three-by team once, you know? We did. I, I carried the team. <laughs> yeah. You, you definitely had nice lookoff feats, no doubt about it. But, um, but the, the, the thing that's so cool about it is that it was just such an authentic experience of just, like, literally, like, let's just go and play the game for the fun of it and then go play something totally different. Um, The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information. What did you think about the environment of box lacrosse as it relates to, you know, the physicality, the rules, the small nets, the boards, the glass, the shot clock, as far as what it did to help your daughters develop. Well, I love the shot clock, first off. It's much more enjoyable for the parents having a shot clock. Um, but I think just the physicality of it, you mentioned it. You know, with girls lacrosse, there's this, there's this uh, misconception that it's not a physical sport. And uh, it, it can be a physical sport. And sometimes, you know, you take the path of least resistance. So, like, maybe you meet a little contact and you don't finish when you could finish. Um, but I think box really helped them get a little bit more physical and finish. Uh, you mentioned my two daughters, one plays basketball and one plays hockey. I've seen improvement in them in those two sports after having done a summer of box lacrosse. They are no longer intimidated in the ways that they maybe were once intimidated. They are physical. They're getting kind of this low man wins mentality or um, not afraid of contact, I guess. And uh um, I think for box as a parent, my first reaction was, oh, wow, someone's going to get hurt out here. That was my first reaction. But as the time went on and I realized that my girls had to 
get in this mode where they couldn't sort of admire their past. So a little bit like playing quarterback. Yeah. I, I remember the first time as a quarterback when, uh, you know, I was in an 11 on 11 drill, I threw a pass and I was sort of admiring my spiral and then boom, you know, I took this big hit. Well, that was the last time that that happened. And the similar thing happened to uh, my oldest daughter in her first box lacrosse game up in Canada. She had a nice pass. She was admiring her pass and, you know, she gets slammed and it was, a, you know, it was kind of a wake up call. It reminded me that game for me was my first preseason game uh, in the NFL. Uh, it was the Green Bay Packers versus the Kansas City Chiefs in Tokyo. And I was just sort of soaking it in like, wow, I'm in Tokyo. Wow, this is the NFL. Look at this pass. And the speed of it was just wasn't quite ready for it. So once you get over that adjustment, I think um, I think it is def it's definitely something that helped them. Yeah, uh, it was really clear to see as a dad. No doubt. And the funny part about um, when Annabelle took admired her pass and got hit was Mallory came right over and was like in the face of the girl that had like initiated this uh, uh, finish your check type of play, which is very normal in box across. Yeah, I'm glad I'm a hockey parent because there's just uh, you know, to an outsider or to an untrained eye, you might think like, Oh wow, this is aggressive. Like there's some, like people are getting in each other's face, but it's just sort of, it's just an extension of hockey. It's it really just, uh, you know, you protect the goalie, just you protect the crease. There's just some, some really cool things about it. What I was really impressed with, with Canada, um, with the box across was just the amount of fans in the stands. Like there was, it was, uh, it reminded me of like being in the Midwest. I played for the Indianapolis Colts. And one of the things we would like to do was go to high school basketball games. And it was, uh, you know, just the gym was packed and it just had that energy. And I think anytime playing in front of a huge crowd or, or a packed gym, you get that energy. And that was one of the things that I really enjoyed about uh, box across was just that it was an educated crowd. They understood the rules. They understood the uh, strategy. And like for the, kids i just think there was energy in every rink that we were playing in because uh because it was packed and um you know I, I definitely appreciated about that whatever the sport that is a that is a fun environment to be in yeah no doubt one of the things i referenced that i that i enjoyed you know some of my the times i enjoyed most up there was though our little sessions of playing pickup games and playing pickup games to me it's how i became an athlete um, and I know you grew up as the son and with your brother as sons of an NFL player. And, and you, you sort of said, I played every sport going. Um, talk a little bit about your own athletic development as it relates to playing pickup sports as well as the organized type of stuff. Yeah, well, you said it. I mean, specifically about foot, for football with me, I mean, it was just front yard or backyard football every day like every single day with the kids in my neighborhood. And I was fortunate to be one of the younger kids in my neighborhood. So I was always playing against older kids, but I was playing quarterback, tight end, wide receiver, defensive back. And we were just basically like, it was just pickup all day. And we didn't know what it was. It just was felt more like recess. Right. And so, you know, up there with you playing three by was, um, was fun. It like reminded me more of playing pickup basketball. Uh, yep. which was another thing we did in the driveway growing up. We just played pickup basketball all day. If it was four of us, it was two on two. If it was three of us, or sorry, six of us, it was three on three. And so I think playing that and having the, you know, people around you that also um, have a stick in their hand quite a bit, uh, I think it's, it's more fun. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's just, it's, 
I think it's where you get to experience creativity. You get to experience uh, just the fun of it, really. And uh, I know for me, as a as as someone who's now playing quarterback, I have like a I think probably a different respect for what are, what it's like for a receiver or a tight end. Like really, quite honestly, like a slant route. There's a huge difference for a receiver if the slant route is like right here versus right here or right here versus right here or, or whatever. There's a huge difference. And I know because I've caught enough passes, like I've, I've gone out for enough passes to just kind of have that experience. And so I don't know exactly know how that translates to lacrosse or other sports, but I know as a quarterback, when you can really see things also through the lens of the person that you're trying to get the ball to, yep. um, I see it with my son a little bit. My son plays lacrosse and he's also a hockey goalie. And I think for him, he understands things that the goal, like what's the problem for the goalie uh, in lacrosse just because of his, you know, thousands of hours he's invested as a hockey goalie. And so um, the pickup game is, is nice to me because everyone's playing every position. You know, you're, you're, you're playing the top, you're playing defense, you're playing offense. And um, like I said, it's like pickup basketball. You can kind of do it all day long if, you uh, if you've got people that are willing to do that with you. And the crazy thing is, is that if you think about basketball, you would always play pickup. Like if you're a basketball player, what do you do? You play pickup basketball. As a lacrosse player, what does everybody do? They, they get on the wall and they get on their rebounder or they shoot. Maybe they, they, maybe they train physically, but they don't play the sport enough. And I, I think this is why the pickup games are so powerful because it just gives you a chance to play. And as you said, be creative and finish on small nets and learn how to be a good goalie. And learn how to, like, set a pick and read it and fake and, you know, all of these things. And, and it definitely translates. Um, we did well, a lot. That's a, good, that's a good point, too, is, like, you know, with quarterbacks, you know, when I was growing up, I'd always see in, like, movies or TV shows, like, a, a kid had a football and he would throw it, throw it through, like, a tire ring. Yeah. And I thought, man, like, I played in the NFL in 18 years. I played five years of college football. I obviously played high school football, played youth football. I have never in my life tried to throw a football through a, through a tire. Like, where did that come from? Like, that's not a real thing. That's not something that I believe helps you in any way play quarterback. Right. Yet, I think there's this perception out there. And so I'm probably guilty of this. Like, my kids, I want them to be good at lacrosse. So uh, you have a lacrosse goal. Well, I'm going to go buy you one of those things where it's got, like, the targets. The shooter tutors. That's going to make you a good lacrosse player. So, um I don't know. I just had that premonition, but as a quarterback, right. like that's, that's not what you need to do. You that's need to throw to a moving target. Right. Uh, anyone throw to a stationary target, but throwing to like, as a quarterback, when you're right-handed, your ball will naturally drift to the right because you, the way your spiral goes. So some quarterbacks really struggle when a wide receiver, if you're a right-handed quarterback, if your receiver is moving from right to left and routes that the guy is moving from left to right are much easier for you. And so it doesn't matter if the guy's on the, right side of the field or the left side of the field we're getting ready for the nfl draft right now a lot of quarterbacks are having their their pro days if you if you're really paying attention you can notice that whoever's directing these quarterbacks pro day if it's a right-handed thrower which by the way every single 100 percent of the quarterbacks in the nfl right now are all right-handed that's another story but um the the routes that the guys will be running so the quarterback looks good typically will be routes that if he's on the left side he's breaking in if he's on the right side he's breaking out it's 
a sneaky thing that like, I don't know if everyone notices, but it certainly happens because it's easier for the quarterback unless you're working on it. Now, some guys might say, hey, I've worked on the out route to my left. I'm going to show off that that's a strength of mine when it's not right. a strength of many other people. Interesting. Uh, you, you sent out a tweet um, when uh, KC was playing the Colts in the playoffs about Patrick Mahomes, and you, you gave a box across reference, which was actually pretty awesome. <laughs> I was on television, actually. It was on I television, I know. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And it was basically, you know, we all watch Patrick Mahomes, and we, and we watch this guy with all the different ways he throws the ball and the deception. And you think about the tire. Well, you know, t the tire is a lot like a shooting target. If you stare it down, it's going to get intercepted. It's going to get saved. You can't, like, stare down. And you got to have different swing angles and throw angles with your arm or your stick. And um, you know, Patrick Mahomes must have grown up playing a lot of different sports because he plays as if he grew up on the playground playing. Well, I know he played a lot of basketball because I've seen him dunk, uh, and that's impressive. And obviously he played baseball. His dad was a professional baseball player, so I'm sure he spent hours shagging uh, in the outfield. But the reference to the play you're talking about, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, if you don't watch a lot of football, he's the guy you need to watch. He is yeah. so much fun. He's got a cannon of an arm. He's very accurate. And um, he's being coached by my first quarterback coach with the Green Bay Packers, Andy Reid. And, you know, one of the things that I love about Andy Reid is that he doesn't overcoach, but he's got some non-negotiables, you know, a good base. He used to always say, always say to us in the quarterback room in Green Bay, really he would say it to Brett Favre and we got to just be in the room and listen to him coach Brett Favre, but we pretended like he was talking to us. Yes. He would say, stay low, stay low, stay low. And a lot of times you'll hear people on TV say, it's important for the quarterback to stand tall in the pocket. Again, that is something I have never once in my life heard an NFL quarterback coach say. They say, stay low, bend your knees, athletic position, act like you're about to get into a boxing match, those types of things. And so, uh, anyway, the reference with Patrick Mahomes was a box lacrosse thing. And I think the way that I've chose to think about it, and you were probably the first person I heard say it, is that your stick has eyes. Like, your stick can see the goal when you cannot see the goal. And Patrick Mahomes had this throw. Let me see if I can make sure I can be seen here. Where, you know, the, the lane was right here for his eyes. For his arm, his arm was over here coming around the defender and the receiver was coming into motion. It was, I mean, it was really impressive. I'll have to. It was like a screenshot where you shoot it around a defender and he put yes. it in his face. And um, it's, it's, it's what, you know, it, it, you, you think about, we always stand tall in the pocket. It's kind of like you can only throw overhand. I mean, these are fake fundamentals. They're just not true. The best players in the world do things that the situation actually demands and it's like a, it's like solving a problem in 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 in, in mid-play and that's why i love all our pickup games because those little solutions occur naturally and over the course of time it just becomes easy and natural one of the things that happens in pickup games so often that i want you to chat a little bit about is the use of deception i i really feel like the difference between good and great in all sports um, and especially, you know, and I talk about it all the time in lacrosse, is your ability to be deceptive um, so that you're faking passes, that, so that you're, if you're on defense, you're faking a slide, you're faking shots, you're literally looking everything off. 
Um, talk a little bit about that as a quarterback, um, just how important it is. And it seems like it happens more often now than it maybe even happened 10 or 15 years ago as far as the amount of fakes and lookoffs that go on. Yeah, well, I think um, you can overdo it as a quarterback, obviously. And some guys, you know, if they're throwing right, they're looking all the way left, then they come back right. And then instead of goofing up the defense, you goofed up yourself. And so right. the one thing that, you know, you hear quarterback coaches say quite a bit is, hey, eyes down the middle. You know, if yeah. I'm trying to get the guy in the right, I don't have to look off to the left. Right. I'm going to just have to look down the middle, and that, that accomplishes what I'm trying to accomplish. But I think in terms of drill work as a quarterback, one thing that took me from good to great in this area is, you know, if I'm just throwing with my friend, so I've got my best friend who's my receiver, and we're just throwing, instead of me just dropping back, looking at him and throwing to him, I'm actually practicing looking off while I'm throwing routes versus air. He's running routes versus no defense. My eyes, I'm training my eyes. I got my eyes down the middle of the field on my first step and a half. Two, three, I'm looking for the flat defender. I'm, I'm giving him a subtle thing with my eyes. My feet, my, you know, my base, that's not really doing anything different, but my eyes are training. And that's something that um, is a little thing, but it's sort of a big thing. Even when, as a quarterback, you do like a metabolic run. So you're, uh, you're, you're seven-step drop, two hitches up, you're looking, you're looking, and you take off run. Like you take off and run for 10 to 15 yards. Even that, you don't just run to that 15-yard mark. You're running with kind of like moving your eyes left and right, looking for defenders. It's just something you're training your eyes to do. And so um, sometimes I think there's just something about tying your eyes to your feet but then also being able to disassociate them, knowing that your feet are setting up where I'm going to throw to my right and out route to my right, but having my eyes peek to the right, peek to the middle, peek, come back to the right is something that um, surprisingly is actually tougher than you would think. And so practicing it, I think is very important. No doubt. And the subtle, the subtle piece is huge because look, the, the most subtle fakes work the best. A quick glance will make somebody react. When all of a sudden you try to fake too big, it's kind of obvious it's, it's just a fake. Um, yeah, and I, and I think you'll see it also um, with wide receivers, quite honestly. You'll see it with wide receivers. They'll catch the ball, and this is like this subtle, like, inside head nod, and then they're able to make a guy miss and, you know, break a tackle. It's like the subtle, but, but if you drop the ball while you're doing that, what's your coach going to say? Hey, keep your eyes on the ball. Like, become a robot. So you kind of have to master the simple things. And like, like you mentioned before, you know, throwing overhand. you got to master those things so that your coach will sort of let you take it to the next level. Um, you know, I know like Mike Holmgren was my coach in Green Bay and then in Seattle. And so I wanted to do all these like Patrick Mahomes, Brett Favre crazy throws. And he was going to be okay with that if I showed that I had mastered like the – the fundamental part of it. Once I proved to him that I had mastered the fundamental part, then he kind of like gave me the keys to the car and said, okay, now you can have fun, be creative and that kind of thing. I think for me as a younger player, I just wanted to be all trick shots, look off, sidearms without having really mastered the fundamentals. So I, think I, I see it also in wide receivers where, you know, that, that subtle head nod for yards after the catch is so important. But if you drop it because you're doing that, then your coach is going to like put the handcuffs on you and be like, all right, 
no more. You got to just be a robot. Explain just, that. Explain the head nod one more time so that the, the wide receiver looks back early to try to make it make the defender uh, bite early so that he can catch it later and gain gain. Yeah. So the ball's coming into you. So the ball's coming into you and. My defender, the guy, the cornerback, who's going to make the tackles right behind me. He's closing in. He's five yards away. He's closing in. He's going to be about two yards by the time I catch the ball. As you catch the ball, you give this, like, subtle, like, head nod. Oh, like, okay. subtle, like Here I come coming inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, defender's yeah. like, oh, I'm coming inside, and whoop, I'm coming outside. So my whole body knows I'm going outside, yeah. but my head comes inside. I got you. It's a rocker move. We're, in lacrosse, we call that a rocker. So what you're saying is on a comeback, you catch the ball, and just as the ball's arriving and you're about to get hit, you basically rocker with a head, turn your head and shoulders a little bit, catch it, and go the opposite direction. And you see wide receivers do that all the time. Sometimes they do it after the catch, some, but doing it right as you're about to be tackled, I can see how you might. Where, yeah, and, and where this shows up, like the NFL draft's coming up in April. And so before the, you know, during the draft for all the first round draft pick wide receivers, they'll show a highlight film. Check out on those highlight films, how often the receivers do a little subtle head nod when, before they break a tackle, usually the first round pick wide receivers, it's what they're so good at. And uh, that's what I think that's where it shows up the most. The Philocrosophy Podcast is made possible in part by the JM3 Video Assessment Tool. There is no question that video is a critical part to player development. One way or another, your son or daughter must utilize video to learn their game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register, go to www.jm3video.com today. Yeah, totally. Speaking of wide receivers, uh, you told a really cool story about Jerry Rice one time. And um, I think about the a Syracuse, the Syracuse uh, men's assistant offensive coordinator, uh, Coach Donahue always says, hey, the race begins when you want it to, okay? And meaning that's, you know, when you're dodging somebody one-on-one, -on -one, the race begins when you want it to. And you told a story about Jerry Rice when he was late in his career um, and uh, about, you know, he was gonna be matched up against some corner that was incredibly fast. Do you remember the story? I do. It's, it was actually Bobby Ingram, uh, who's now the wide receivers, tight ends coach for the Baltimore Ravens. It was his quote. I did play with Jerry Rice, though. Quick Jerry Rice story before okay. I tell the Bobby thing. He used to get in full pads and run a mile on the treadmill before every practice. Like cleats, ankles, you know, taped up, whatever, pants, pads in them. Uh, no shoulder pads, but he would run a mile on the treadmill before before every practice. And I used to think, like, man, I, I don't know if I'm willing to do that or if I even need to do that. But whatever I'm doing in my warm up routine, clearly I need to double or triple it because that's Jerry Rice and he's doing that. So there's something to that. But Bobby Ingram um, was a wide receiver from Penn State, and he was kind of our slot receiver at the same time, and. I said to him, hey, man, like this nickelback that you're going to be, you know, matched up with this week. Uh, he ran like a 4-3-40 at the combine. He's really, really fast. And Bobby Ingram looked at me like, well, he can only run as fast as I decide to go. <laughs> I thought, like, wow, that's, that's, that's true because he's covering you. Um, but what I realized about Bobby, and what he said also was, 
just make sure the ball's on me when I separate. And so we got into this thing where it was like, I was comfortable. I was chilling. I was just waiting for, to see his indicator step. So in, in, in football, a wide receiver will give what's called an indicator step. So he'll be running and then he'll take a hard step in the ground. Just, just, he's not changing his gait too much. He's not slowing down, but he takes a hard step in the ground. When he takes that hard step in the ground, I know that the angle starts from that step. And so I know if it's a 45 degree angle or a 90 degree angle, whatever the route is, I know that that's the step. And so when I see that step, my arms cocked, the ball's coming out. And so the separation happens like you're covered, you're open, you're covered. That ball needs to arrive when you're open, kind of like an accordion. Get it in, and then, you know, obviously it'll be, it'll be um, covered soon. But Bobby Ingram was like my absolute go-to guy, could throw to him with, you know, one eye covered. And uh, it was really because of this mindset of I'm going to be quick, but I'm not going to hurry. Like that, this defender is on my time. I'm not on his time. Right. And uh, it's one of the reasons Bobby was so great. And he was a great player at Penn State. He's, he's obviously doing a great job coaching now with the Ravens. Um, but uh, it's something I never forgot. And I played many years after that. And it's something that I would tell a lot of our wide receivers that were like, they were in a hurry to get open. It's like, I don't need you to be open when I'm not even looking at you. I need you yeah. to be open when the ball is about to be there. Right. And the amazing thing is, is that you can control the speed of your defender. They can't run faster than you, you know, so slow to fast, fast to slow to fast, you know, hesitations, fakes. What are some of the other things that receivers do as far as like, you know, basically selling go when they're, you know, like they're selling speed when they're trying to slow down and, 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 or, or vice versa? What are some of the things that they're doing that way? Because it's totally applicable to one-on-one -on -one play in, in lacrosse. Yeah, well, I think one of the things guys do is that they're setting guys up all the time. So in football, there's a lot of running plays, a lot of plays where in other plays that are passing plays, but you know you are not getting the ball, but you're setting your guy up for something later on when you are getting the ball, when you are the guy, the ball is coming to you. And so, you know, quarterbacks do the same thing with uh, on running plays, like setting up the naked bootleg. Sometimes I'm carrying out my fake on a running play at 100% or full tilt, just so the coach in the skybox can see what the, you know, complimentary play would look like, the play action, the naked bootleg. Same thing with a wide receiver, uh, whether it's press coverage, maybe you're lulling the guy to sleep. Maybe you're going outside, 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 so you can once go inside, uh, you know, vice versa. Maybe you're, um, you know, you're setting him up, you're running your best route so you can come back on the sidelines uh, during the next series and say to your coach, hey, coach, he's, he's squatting on that comeback at 15. We need to run the comeback at 18, or we need to run the double move. It's stutter him at 14 and go by him. And so I think probably just using those, those wasted reps or things that some people might just be, you know, relaxing and not really thinking about, the best players in football, they think about those as a setup for a big play down the line. So smart. So interesting. We, um, when are we going to get uh, Edelman to do a trip move? <laughs> well, there's a coverage. So there's a coverage in, uh, in football. And I mentioned this to you because I think Julian Edelman's one of the best receivers in football and especially in the slot. He's just so much fun to watch. But there's a coverage in football called two-man. 
and it's basically there's two deep safeties that are free one's got one half of the field the other's got the other half of the field and then all the defenders are playing hard inside technique in a trail position so it's going to kind of let you go by i'm just going to get in your hip pocket i know you can't really run deep by me because i've kind of got help with those two deep defenders but i'm trailing you and so if you start to make a move either way um uh you know i'm just going to undercut it and so for a quarterback it's not the best coverage for a lot of plays. Like your best thing is to maybe run the ball. But if for some reason the defender falls down, your receiver is just running for days. And it happens a lot in this coverage. And I think it's because the guys in that trail technique, and you had mentioned to me, um, you know, of a move in lacrosse that would be so good for that, for that coverage. And so. Uh, so real quick for the listeners, I know I've, I've talked about this on my podcast before, but my friend Andy Towers, who is the uh, – he's actually the head coach of the new PLL Chaos. This guy was one of the greatest players, uh, one of the greatest lacrosse players ever, and he's also a really smart coach. And he invented this move called the trip move where basically when you kind of get a step on someone and begin to turn the corner on them and they're in that trail position trying to catch up to you, that you can basically stick – you know change direction on sort of an out move or a pop out and it, and it tangles up their feet and they go down and it actually you can set this up at will and it specially works for people that are really trying to put pressure on you press really trying to pressure you really trying to out athlete you overplay you and you can make them fall instantly so i was like man i i think this would be the greatest thing for julian edelman we haven't we haven't got it done yet but you know maybe he'll listen to this podcast and realize that he can actually make why Edelman? I want to know why Edelman though. Why? Why are you wanting to offer? Well, because I'm actually a huge Patriots. I thought the Giants were your team. Come on, man. I'm a. You know, I'm a Pats fan. Okay. And you're supposed to be too. You know, your dad was a Patriot. <laughs> grew up in Boston. Come on. I know yeah. you've got to be like. Well, I'm just curious. I mean, I'm. I, I like the move so much. I just like when the offense wins. Like it doesn't really matter to me who. Uh, I just always people ask me like, well, what team do you root for now? You got all these friends who are coaching and playing, and I think I just usually root for offense. Um, <laughs> but I will say there's a lot of receivers out there. Like there's Von Miller has this pass rush academy where it doesn't matter what team you played for, they all get together in the off season and they all talk about their best pass rush moves to be, you know, just to get to the quarterback. And so I kind of feel like the wide receiver group should have something like that, where, hey, we all just come together. And, hey, this is my best swim move. This is my best uh, dip and rip. This is my best um, trip move, you know, what, whatever it might be. So um, I think Jules, if Jules did it, everyone would listen. Everyone would want to do it, too. He's kind of a trendsetter. Yeah, no doubt. And he's also would be the one, you know, that wouldn't really care when they, everybody wanted to kill him because he kept making their guys fall down constantly. So um the uh talk a little bit about some of the um the leadership lessons that you learned along the way you know uh give us a story maybe as a young quarterback trying to establish your leadership and then as as a veteran quarterback um you know you had a great story from when you were in uh I think in, in, in Indy at the, at the end of your career. But, um, yeah, maybe a couple stories just about leadership for, for athletes or coaches that might be interested in hearing some of these things. Yeah, well, the quarterback position is funny because they, they say you're the leader because you're the quarterback. <laughs> I remember when I was a sophomore in high school, the first time I was in that varsity huddle with upperclassmen, you got to step in that huddle 
and make them believe in you. You can't get in there and call the play like, all right, guys, we're going to go uh, trips right, three-jet dancer, fullback burst. You got to be like, all right, hey, here we go. We got trips right, three-jet dancer, all go, fullback burst. I'm one, ready, break. But you got to make them believe in you by just body language, action, that kind of stuff. And that translates for me all the way through the NFL. I remember early in my NFL career, mastering the playbook is a tough thing for a young quarterback you know, understanding the playbook the way the coach understands it. So I'd get in the huddle and I'd be like, all right, guys, we got a uh, brown right close, a right. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brown right close, a right, two jet, flanker short. Like I was thinking about it. And the difference between that and hopping in the huddle, like you know what your job, his job, everybody's job. All right, guys, listen up. We got brown right close, a right, two jet, flanker short post on one. Hit it. Ready, break. You know, like that difference just in a leadership role is not only knowing like really knowing it but knowing it so well that you could teach it to each of the guys that also need to learn it so really just being in lockstep with your coach or in your with your playbook to me as a quarterback that's like a non-negotiable if you want to be a leader on your team in uh the body language like you said like the way you're presenting yourself the way you're presenting what you're doing we've definitely seen quarterbacks that, you know, I mean, it's fine to get pissed off sometimes because that's body language in a positive way too. But, you know, just to be able to have that really positive body language. Um, how did you think about that as a player? Yeah, well, I, I remember my first uh, day ever with the Green Bay Packers. Andy Reid was the quarterback's coach and he calls me into the office and he's like, here's the playbook. Uh, listen, we love your fundamentals. Your fundamentals are great. Because ironically, our starter, Brett Favre, his fundamentals are terrible. He gets away with things because his arm's strong. He's this incredible athlete. Some of it we can't, can't explain ourselves. But where he is really special is in the things that people call intangibles, his leadership style, uh, the way he is with his teammates, the way he accepts coaching, the way he intimidates the opponent without ever saying one word. Um, you know, the, when the ball is his, in his hands, everyone feels like something good is about to happen. And I just really tried to pay attention to those things. I tried to listen to him in the huddle. When you're in a huddle, you're not just calling the play. Like you're given a little coaching point that the coach would give. Or in football, there's an example um, that every coach, every team I've ever been on, like when you, when you call a play, you always break the huddle. So, all right, guys, we got green, right, fox, two, X, Y, hook, on one, ready, break. And every coach, they love that break. They love that ready, break. They want everyone clapping. They want it in unison. They want you to say break. It's like something in them, they care about it. Now, players, you don't care about it, but they care about it. So as a quarterback, you got to care about it. And I just remember if ever in Green Bay with Mike Holmgren, if ever there was a break where it was like, break, you know, wasn't good enough, he would lose his mind, get in the huddle. And he wouldn't yell at the team. He would yell at the quarterback. It wasn't the quarterback's fault that everyone didn't clap right. But Brett, like Brett Favre, how he would handle it, his style, and it doesn't have to be the style, but his style was like, all right, hey, huddle up, huddle up. He's like, hey, hey, we'll show this guy. Let's have the loudest break you've ever had in your life. Let's just be so loud and run up to the line of scrimmage. And everyone's like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll show him. All right, here we go, guys. Green, right, Fox, two, X, Y, hook. I'm one. Ready, break. And they run to the line of scrimmage and they get set. Every coach is so happy. They're like, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Every player on that offensive line is like, yeah, we showed him. It's <laughs> like mission accomplished on both accords. And so 
you know, Brett Favre strikes me as a guy that's never read a leadership book in his life, but he just oozes leadership. And it's little things like that, finding ways to motivate your teammates, to accept coaching, to just get everyone going in the same direction instead of like other quarterbacks I've been around. You know, they get screamed at about the break, like, not my fault. You know, what do you want me to do? I called the play. I can't make him clap his hands. You know, it's just those subtleties. Yeah, yeah. You're understanding everybody's, looking at it through everybody's lens, head coach, left tackle, wide receiver that's got the furthest to run when he breaks the huddle, looking at it through everybody's lens. And whether by design or by accident, um, that was just an example of something that with Brett, that it was just stuff like that that I've tried to take pride in, you know, for me as a quarterback, all the little things that if it, if it matters to somebody else, then I need to make it matter to me a little bit. And, and you also have to be that calming presence, like the classic story of Joe Montana on the final drive of the 89 Super Bowl against Cincinnati, where he was like, hey, isn't that John Candy up in the, up in the stands? And everyone's like, wait, why? And, uh, but then it's like, all right, trip's right. And then he's like right into it, you know? Yeah, well, there's a fine line there. You know, that's the San Francisco 49ers, a Super Bowl after Super Bowl type team, Hall of Famers. Sometimes the pressure can be greater for a team like that. You're expected to win. Like, you, you can't lose the Super Bowl to the Cincinnati Bengals. Like, that's one thing. Usually, though, like I see a lot of quarterbacks try to be that kind of a guy. Usually, though, your job, especially as a quarterback during TV timeouts in an NFL game, your challenge is to try to get your guys to focus on everything that's happening inside the white lines. Hey, right here, I need you to focus. I, like, I need us all in right now. And that's, that's usually the situation. Right. Now, Montana's thing was epic and yeah, yeah. why he was one of the greatest of all time. But, um, but that is a challenge, knowing when to kind of help cut the tension, knowing when to like, hey, we got to really focus in here. Like, even if it's off, the field hey guys let's put our phones away for an hour okay like we got a team dinner o-line dinner something like that the purpose of that is camaraderie camaraderie yeah. is not everyone sitting there and looking like this on their phone like some of the best o-lineman groups that i've been around they've got a fine system and hey one of the things is if you pull your phone out at dinner boom that's a fine that's a hundred dollars to the pot. We're giving it away to somebody else, but you don't get to keep it. Like things like that, that build camaraderie, whatever your team needs, whatever your group needs, um, kind of policing that, or just kind of being in it together, kind of saying beforehand, Hey guys, is this important to you? Okay. It's important to me. Okay. Then it's important to all of us. And boom, we're going with it. And so, um, quarterback, sometimes, you know, you help facilitate some of those things. Having, having a team that is truly, doing the quality control on itself is the ultimate for winning teams. Um, you know, right now I'd say in men's lacrosse, Andy Shea might have done at Yale the best, has done an amazing job with this. And like his team literally kind of like they have their own, you know, uh, they've got this like communication system where by class they communicate and they hold it. They, they, they take pictures of their meals in the summer. They take pictures of their workouts and they're a big, strong athletic group that on the field, you know, a teammate will get in your face if you're not working as hard as you're supposed to be working or doing what you're supposed to be doing. Does, does that translate into the NFL with the best teams you were on? Yeah. So the, the best coaches I know about that, there's some, they say it differently, but it's all this, this is, this is their thing. Okay. When the players on your team care more than the coaches, 
Like when you can get to that level, that's like, that's what we're looking for. And I remember going back to, again, Mike Holmgren talked about when Joe Montana and Ronnie Lott and Jerry Rice and all those guys, it got to a point, Bill Walsh and that staff, they cared, you know, coaches are all in on this thing. This is their life. But when the players get to the point where they know the standard and they're holding each other and they're holding themselves accountable and they care that much, um, that's when you have something special. And, and I, I felt it on teams that I've been on. I see it now with teams like the Patriots. Patriots don't have all this locker room drama. Why? Because guys know. Like, they just know. Like, my teammates would never put up with that. Um, you look around the league, the teams that are struggling, the very, very talented teams um, have all this drama. Well, why? Because they don't have what Patriots have captured, you know, with that leadership inside the locker room, inside the team, that, that accountability and, you know, this is how we do things here. And in my first day when I stepped into the locker room in Green Bay, it was, it was Reggie White, it was Brett Favre, it was all these amazing guys. And we didn't have a lot of rules. We didn't need rules. Just follow the example of those guys. Also been on teams where guys had a lot of Pro Bowls and all that kind of thing, and they weren't doing the right thing. And the team had a ceiling, and that was how high the team could possibly go. And it wasn't going to be over that ceiling because of the example that those guys set. And so um, I agree. I 100% agree to that with that. And, uh, you know, I think the big thing you mentioned it, one thing that was never really a part of the equation while I was playing in the NFL was nutrition. And now you see guys like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson really making nutrition part of the training. And uh, that's new. It's kind of next level. And uh, I think that's where we're headed with all sports. Yeah, and sleep for that matter. You know, they talk about sleep as like the ultimate steroid, you know, that's legal. You know, just getting that sleep, getting to bed, you know, at the right time so you can get up at the right time. Um, I read this book. Uh, I've read a few football books over the years. One of my favorite ones was this by Bill Wallace called Finding the Winning Edge. Did you ever read that book? I sure did. In One fact, that, that, same meeting with, that same meeting with Andy Reid, he was like, all right, homework assignment, read this book. Yeah. And uh, the irony about that book, the Green Bay Packers offense, which is now the Kansas City Chiefs offense of 2019, the passing game, yeah. the plays in the back of that Bill Walsh book, Finding the Winning Edge, those are the same exact plays <laughs> that the Chiefs are running now. They're running them out of different personnel groups and maybe different formations. But when they say, when Patrick Mahomes says, set hut, and the ball gets snapped, the routes are pretty much the same. So, it's amazing. Um, well, that book, the playbook, there I it wasn't, um, you know, I'm not a football guy, but I'm a coach, you know. And so I just was reading all the coach books I could find. And, I, I think that, that that might not even be in print anymore. I was looking for it. I wanted to get find the book because I lost it. And I think, like, it's the book that if you wanted to be a football coach or a football GM, you just, like, have to read that book because it pretty much tells the whole story. But one story in there, or maybe it was a different Bill Walsh book, but it talked about Joe Montana and how, you know, and this has to do with coachability as both an attitude and an aptitude. Um, and, um, and, and that Joe, Bill Wall said, if, if I made a comment to Joe Montana about his game, about something he needed to add to his game or alter or whatever, it was just, it was in, it was in right away. It was in his mental playbook about what he was going to be able to do. Um, and talk a little bit about that, the, the, the attitude part, you know, we, you know, you got to have it, you got to be willing to accept coaching, but the aptitude part on top of that is really what smart the best teams win with that you know when you think about the best teams they're the smartest teams I don't care what sport it is 
and the smartest players play the most. How do you sort of characterize that and, and think about that in your, you know, from your um, uh, experiences? Yeah, well, trust is a big thing, really trusting your coach. And that was not something that I always had, you know, and it hurt me as a player. But when I got to the point where, hey, this coach is absolutely 100% just trying to get the most out of me, the best out of me, then I was able to sort of put my guard down and say, okay, uh, like, for example, in quarterback, um, you have individual periods where you're working on drills. Um, in a five-step drop, Jamie, you and I have talked about this. Yep. There's a, the Joe Montana drop Mike McCarthy tried to get me to do was that third step heel to toe. And I was like, oh, it doesn't feel good, doesn't feel good. And he said to me, listen, just do it every single time in drill work, every single time. And then when you're out there competing seven on a seven, 11 on 11, uh, don't even think about it. Do, do it your way. Just do it your way. But in drill work, do it my way. And because I trusted him and because um, I was maturing, I was like, okay, yes, coach, I got it. Anything you say in drill work, I will do. Because you've greenlighted me in competition. Hey, you know, go play, go play. And I forget the day, but it was like randomly watching film in a competitive 11 on 11 situation. And I've got the clicker and I was, well, rewind that. And in the actual competitive thing, I am now muscle memory doing what I had been drilling that he was trying to get out of me. And it was really because I had committed to doing all the drill work and I had done a ton of drill work. And so um, that was a small example of something that showed up on film that I saw that from that moment on, and that was 1999, from that moment on, I, anytime a coach, you know, one of my coaches said, hey, I need you to do this. It was like, guards down, I'm all ears, you say it, I'm going to try to do it. And I kind of had a way that I was going to try to do it. It wasn't going to goof me up necessarily in competitive situations, um, but I was going to learn from it. And, 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 you know, physically, I think that was one way that I was able to do that. Yeah, very cool. You know, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about the Patriots a lot because I love talking about the Patriots and getting it, all the inside scoop, and, and uh, that's a blast. But really – what I want to talk about is not just – I want to talk about the Patriots from the perspective of the, the combination that, that Coach Belichick and his staff seems to be able to do between being very multiple in what they do and having a lot of – you know, everyone talks about how they've got a new defense, you know, a new offense for every week. But at the same time, how do they do that and maintain – their fundamentals because if you listen to Bill Belichick mic'd up sometimes, all you're hearing is jam them at the line, jam them at the line, jam them at the line, jam them at the line. And so, you know, there seems like this amazing balance between doing very, very fundamental things and, and being able to translate that into multiple sort of looks on both sides of the ball. How do you explain that? Yeah, well, I mean, if you could figure out everything about the Patriots, like that, that's really what everyone's trying to do. But to me, one of the things that sticks out is they've got some non-negotiables. For example, on defense, set the edge. Like, set the edge. We're going to – that's the foundation of our defense. Meaning, if you're an outside linebacker, there are 34 defense. If you're that Willie McGinnis, that Rob Ninkovich, you know, that, that you know, old school, that's how long they've been doing it. You set that edge. Nobody gets outside of you. Like, you're, do, do your job for the guy behind you. Like, it kind of starts there. Like, it starts there. And there are some non-negotiables all throughout the thing. But for me, that's one of them. Another thing is the tight end does not get off the line of scrimmage clean. 
whether that's at the line of scrimmage with his hand in the dirt, whether it's a shallow cross, crossing routes, like, I don't care what you're doing, that doesn't happen. And so there's all these little disruptors that take away what an offense does best. You know, you'll hear people a lot of the time talk about, well, the Patriots take away what you do best. They make you eat cereal with your opposite hand. It's like, shouldn't it be that difficult? But for some reason, it, it doesn't feel right. And one of the things that is sort of genius that I think that they do, um, they'll take two of their lesser defenders and double your best receiver. And so for a quarterback, when you see a guy doubled, you just move on. It doesn't matter that they're lesser defenders. And then their top defender, you know, this year was Gilmore. It used to be Revis. It used to be other guys. They'll put that guy on your second best receiver. So now the game, instead of being your best against their best, it's their second best against your best. And it's just like a little subtle thing but they've made a living on it and it has really worked. Now at the end of the day, their best corner has to step up on your second best receiver, but it's worked out really, really well for them for a long time. And, you know, the other thing that I've always admired about that team is that, you know, in the NFL, a lot of times your best players don't play special teams. It's like they're too good for it or they're too valuable for it or something like that. But going back, you know, all of Bill Belichick's teams, he'll have star all pro type players on all the special teams. Like it doesn't matter. It's all hands on deck. No one man is more important than the other. I don't care where you were drafted first round, seventh round. I don't care if you make a lot of money or a league minimum. I don't care. It's all hands on deck and we're trying to get this thing done. And so that's another thing that I've appreciated. Just that mindset is a mindset. It's a winning mindset. It's a championship mindset and uh, something I've always admired about him. Yeah, and it's like right back to culture. And it seems like one thing that, that um, you know, the best teams in the NFL, like the Patriots and the other teams that are, have been up there year in and year out, similar to what the best, what I see uh, men's and women's lacrosse programs do, is they develop their players. Uh, their players get better from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, year after year, season after season. And um, talk a little bit about that concept of, you know, these guys are pros and yet they're getting better and they're, they're talking about it. Yeah. Well, it's funny. You mentioned that book, Finding the Winning Edge, that Bill Walsh book. And in that book, it has listed the height and weight, 40 time bench press of like all the pro bowl players at every position. And so quarterback, guard, you know, like that kind of thing. And a funny thing has happened on every team that I've ever been on in the NFL. You'll have guys on the practice squad. So there's about eight guys on the practice squad, and they are younger, bigger, stronger, faster than the starter at their position. They're, they're bigger, stronger, faster than the pro bowler at their position. And yet, they're on the practice squad, so how are we going to get you better? What are you going to do? Because you don't have a game on Sunday. You're going to lift more. You're going to be in the weight room more. You're already bigger and stronger and faster than the starter at your position. Like, even defensive backs, you're faster than the starter in the Pro Bowl. So why is he in the Pro Bowl and you're on the practice squad? Because there's other things you have to work on in your game. A lot of times offensive linemen, they're good at, uh, at run blocking early on in their career, but they don't know how to take on line stunts. There's something called an ET stunt. The end comes first, the tackle comes after, or a TE stunt. They can't pick it up. They can't figure it out. And so 
What do you, what's going to happen every time you're in the game? You're going to see E, T stunts, T, E stunts. But guess what? Your bench press is amazing. You're like, no one cares about that. So what I see in the NFL is people do not work on their weaknesses. They just work harder at their strengths. And that, that doesn't get you a solution. Talk about defensive backs. I just had a conversation with a young defensive back when I was in Seattle. And he was working so hard in the weight room. And I was like, dude, you are already bigger, stronger, faster than all six Pro Bowl cornerbacks from our, you know, in, that we're playing against. Stop working on that. You need, when you're out there playing corner, you're out there covering a wide receiver saying in your brain, all right, I got to cover him wherever he goes, whatever his route is. What the best corners do, the old crafty vets that can't run anymore, they get out there and they start deleting things. All right, what's the formation? Okay, it's a three-by-one formation, meaning you're the only receiver on this side. All right, I know what you are not going to do. I can't know what you are going to do, but I can know what you are not going to do. And so, what, so I've deleted all those things. So now what have we narrowed it down to? Well, I could run a slant. I could run a three-step fade. I could run a five-step go route. You can narrow it down to a handful of things. Now the ball is snapped, said Hut. The quarterback's eyes on his first step tell me that I can delete about half of those things. The release of the running back, whether he check releases first or free releases, that tells me that I can delete about half of those things. Now all of a sudden, the smart corner, he doesn't have to defend every route in the world that that wide receiver can defend. And so again, it's like those types of things for a young guy, you need to not be in the weight room, you need to be in the film room. There's some guys that don't need to be in the film room, they need to be in the weight room. And so working on weaknesses is something that is just is so incredibly important for some reason. I don't know if it's human nature, it doesn't happen. Yeah, no doubt. And speaking of film, I mean, um, you know, in the sport of lacrosse, when you get up to Division One in college lacrosse, they're, they're using film every day to develop their players. The truth is, you never know what happened if you don't watch the film. You think you know, but you don't know. And at the high school level, the more serious programs, uh, boys and girls, are going to be using film for games. They rarely use it for practice. For me, I, I film every practice, and I learn – Every single day I learn things I didn't know uh, about that day and about the sport and about what we're trying to do and what we're doing. And what's your opinion on, on film? Because there's so many listeners out there that are parents that are wondering, you know, how am I going to help, you know, my son or daughter get better at, at lacrosse? And to me, the most underused piece is the film. Yeah, I agree. Um, there's a saying in football, maybe it's in every sport, the eye in the sky don't lie. And so, you know, Having the ability in a air-conditioned room with a clicker, you can kind of rewind, fast-forward, rewind, fast-forward. That's when learning happens. And if you're just repeating the same mistakes or you don't actually know what the mistake was that happened, I don't know how you could get better. Um, it is a challenge. I think it is a challenge getting filmed, especially a lot of high school programs. You'll see yeah. maybe like the boys' team, uh, they film their games and they don't film the girls' games. There's a little bit of, um, you know, I don't know, there's room to grow when it comes to sports, equity in sports, or just even, you know, putting that into a budget for teams. A lot of times parents will get together and maybe, you know, hey, this is important to us. we got to help our kids get better. But, but, you know, for me, I can't imagine ever having a football practice that was not filmed. Um, but now, now I can't think of any team I've, I've watched in lacrosse where at the high school level, 
or the club level where they're filming the practices, just the games. Right. But unfortunately, probably just the games so kids can make a highlight film. And that's, that's really a secondary thing about, about film. film I mean, watching game film is critical. You, you, you don't know what you did, you know, so on and so forth. It's no difference in practice. And for me, I just, you know, I got a manager, I hand her my phone. And she steps up on a step ladder, and we get perfectly good film to be able to use. I I share the film on a Facebook group that's a private group for my for my team, and and off we go. They're they're, they're learning uh, at a really quick rate. Um, there's a one other book I want to talk about before we let you go. I don't know if you ever read this. You ever heard of the book called Snake Football Book? I don't know. Oh, no. you got to read this one, Matt. It's it's basically the Ken Stabler book called Snake. Okay. It, it was a it was his biography, and in Kenny Stabler, you know, was the Speaking of not a lot of lefties, I mean, he was like one of the all-time great lefties. Him, you know, yeah, Ken Stabler and Steve Young, probably the two of the best lefties ever. But, but uh, Ken Stabler back in the '70s with the Raiders and John Madden coaching, I mean, they were just like a wild crew of of carousers, basically. Um, and so, you know, and he was the leader who probably kept it semi under control, you know, and tried to keep guys like Twos and all these guys like from going ballistic. Now, fast forward yourself to when you were a veteran brought into the Indianapolis Colts to look after a, a young quarterback and how you had to navigate the situation of being a vet, not really having the desire to go out like the younger guys, but to be able to uh, try to uh, be a part, part of the team and be a leader up. Yeah, uh, well, my dad won a Super Bowl with the Los Angeles Raiders in 1984. Uh, was not Kenny Stabler, but that was a wild group of guys. So that was a wild team. But um, and even in Green Bay, you know, Brett Favre kind of had that reputation. My first year there with him, um, he settled down a little bit. But for sure, coming in as a 40-year-old, almost a 40-year-old, being Andrew Luck's backup with Indianapolis. Um, you know, my teammates in Indianapolis when I was there were closer in age to my kids than they were to me and my kids were 12. So, um, you know, it, it was, uh, that was a thing, but you know, one of the things, I don't know how much I want to give away here, uh, Jamie, but you yeah. know, one of the things I would do as a dad, like, you, you know, you're doing homework with your kids, you're, you're falling asleep, reading bedtime stories, you know, that kind of thing. I would set an alarm and I would like go out and meet those guys out sometimes, you know? So like they were out at say, uh, 11 o'clock. You know, I'd fall asleep with my, my youngest at like 7.30. I'd have an alarm go off at 10.45. I'd wake up, I'd hop in an Uber, I'd head downtown, be like, hey, guys, what's up? Where have you been? <laughs> it's like, oh, hey, yeah, where have you been? You're like, oh, we were just out, you know, hang out for a little while, go home, getting all my sleep. I show up for work the next day, 6.45, first thing's at 7. I'm bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, getting a lift in, whatever. Um, you know, it didn't have to happen a lot, but I think right. also just trying to meet guys where they're at without right. compromising what you need to do for you. For me, the stage that I was in, I needed, I knew I needed sleep. I knew I needed to get a good workout in, good training in at seven in the morning. I knew that I had to have a lot of energy and time for good breakfast, study film, have a good practice. But I also knew the social component to, um, you know, having a relationship with my teammates. and so. You know, I think I was able to find ways not to compromise what I needed and yet sort of meet them where they were at and, and you know, basically have deeper conversations with my teammates than what's up. Yeah, what's up? You know, like more than that. And then also just really understanding that uh, life happens outside of sports and those conversations that you have that are deeper than the sport you're playing 
are so much more meaningful. And yet those relationships help you on the field. I know for me as a quarterback, throwing to my tight ends, receivers, running backs, when they have option routes, I can go left or right or deep. Knowing the personality of that guy, I know what he thinks he can do. That guy, he thinks he's open. He's going deep. That guy right there, he's like Eeyore. He doesn't think he's open. He's breaking out. Even though he would be open, I know he's breaking out. I can anticipate. Having that relationship where you yeah. know your teammates is very important. That's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing all that stuff. Uh, in conclusion, so great to have you on here as a lacrosse fan and to hear about all the stories and observations and the things you learned over your, over your career. Um, when does lacrosse season actually get started then for you guys? When is when do the games start for your daughters and son? Well, we've got uh, two weeks of spring break starting this weekend. And uh, that second week, everyone has to come back here. I think the snow will be plowed, and, uh, and that's when lacrosse scrimmages will be on. So it'll be two-a-days and scrimmages and a lot of fun. I'm going to so get Dr. Day. On. I'm going to get Dr. On to send me some film. I'm going to do a little analysis for you guys. Right. I like so, it. Hey, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was uh, really great talking to you and really look forward to uh, keeping in touch, and hopefully we'll see you up in Canada this summer. These are my Jamie Monroe glasses. What do you think? <laughs> the professor. Thank you. All Thanks, right, Jamie. Always yeah. fun to talk to you. Yeah, take care, Matt. Thanks. See you, man. The Phil Lacrosse Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Lacrosse Academy. This 13-week online program is designed to teach cutting-edge lacrosse skills and IQ. Athletes will learn dozens of new techniques, creative drills, X's and O's, and most importantly, how to integrate it all into their game. For more information, go to www.jm3academy.thinkific.com.